0: Good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and start our Sunday school class and we're going to open up with a word of prayer. Lord, once again, we count it an honor and a privilege to open up your word. I mean, it's one thing to get a personal letter. Uh, I remember when my uncle was in the nursing home and he was at the end of his life and he received a, a, a certificate and a personally signed letter from then President Ronald Reagan, and what a you know what an amazing thing to receive a letter from a, a, a world leader or a very famous person, and yet we have the very words of the King and the God of this universe, and yet we take it for granted. Much of the time, it sits on our coffee table or bookshelf, collecting dust, and it should be one of the most exciting things that we ever pick up. Because they aren't just human words these are living words words of life uh, your word says that about itself that it's sharper than any two-edged sword and 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 knows how to divide and uh, and judge between the uh, soul and the spirit and the intents of the heart so lord we know that your word is powerful to transform and to change when nothing else could so lord we ask that you open up our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word this morning Help us to know what your word is trying to say to us so we can apply it to our hearts and our lives and our minds. And uh, we love you and we praise you. And we ask these things in Yeshua's name, amen. All right, in Genesis chapter 45, this is where we left off. Genesis chapter 45. Um, When I think of this passage, I think of an old hymn. I couldn't find it in the hymn book. I was wanting to read the lyrics, but it was something about, oh, what a glad reunion day. Uh, and it's talking about that day when uh, we all go to heaven and we get to see loved ones we haven't seen uh, since they passed from this this life and this this earth. And what a glad reunion day that that will be. Not only that, but there's another song. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face and uh, the one who saved me by his grace. So what, a, what a, a great reunion day that that's going to be. But we witness a great reunion here in genesis chapter 45 of joseph and his brothers and so beginning with verse 1 it says joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants so he called out send everyone away from me no one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers So this clash and this psyop mental psychological warfare between Joseph and his brothers, and the reason being is Joseph was really trying to discover the true nature and intent of his brother's heart if they had changed from the cruel brothers that they were 22 years ago when they sold him into slavery, or if their hearts have softened and and, and they became good men. And so it, it reached a fever pitch, because Judah was petitioning Joseph and saying, look, if, if, if you do what you're planning on doing and, and carrying out through these plans, you know, you're going to kill our father. Our father's going to die. How can we ever go back without Benjamin? How can we face our father? And all this was playing up on Joseph's emotions. And he finally realized that his brothers were true, godly, sincere men that they have uh, um, Repented of the things of their past, and that he could trust them and reveal himself to them, and so with 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 all that Joseph, all that Judah was saying to Joseph, um, it, it really tugged on Joseph's heart, and he couldn't contain himself any longer. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. Now, leaders and kings and people in authority—they don't usually show much emotion in front of people that are of a lower class or a lower station, somebody that's below them, they always want to maintain this air of of leadership, of authority, of superiority. And uh, a lot of times leaders were considered quasi divine and they didn't want to uh, show any of their human side or their human frailty because a lot of times back then, emotion, the expression of certain emotions was considered weakness. And uh, so for various reasons, Uh, Joseph wanted to send his attendants away. Not only that, but we're about to see a very personal, private, intimate uh, thing take place between him and his brothers. It was a family matter. It wasn't a matter for public scrutiny. It wasn't a matter for uh, uh, the public knowledge. So he sent his servants away. And I don't think that he did it maybe in a rash or mean way, because later on we see how much his servants loved uh, Joseph. So it says, Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. So he called out, probably called out in a loud voice so that everybody heard. There was no mistaking what his his command was. Send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. So this identity thing, another reason he sent his attendants away is for the possible reason of how he might have had to reveal himself to his brothers. So, Judah's persuasive argument, his defense of Benjamin, uh, and willingly sacrifice uh, himself instead of Benjamin, convinced and broke Joseph down. Um, So, rules were, um, like I said, the the, the rulers were groomed so as not to show or appear any kind of emotion or weakness in front of servants, and that's one of the reasons he told them to leave. And, um, so and he had told his attendants to leave because this was a a private matter just for him and his family so the question remains we see in verse 1 he revealed himself to his brothers but how did he do it i think that there's several possible ways that he could have done it he may have washed his face and washed off all the egyptian makeup they wore a lot of eye makeup and other kind of makeup and he may have washed his face that might have been one way he may have taken off his egyptian headdress to show the texture of his hair which might have been different from other egyptians at that time Um, he probably spoke hebrew to them which was a shock and a surprise because in chapter 42 verse 23 we see that joseph never spoke directly to these to his brothers He spoke to them in Egyptian, and an interpreter interpreted what Joseph said and relayed it to his brothers in Hebrew. So he never spoke Hebrew in front of them. So maybe one of the ways that he convinced them was to um, speak Hebrew. Now, all of this could have been suspect. You know, him taking off his headdress, him taking off his makeup. Okay, well, you do kind of look familiar, but that might be a coincidence. So what, you're speaking Hebrew. A lot of world rulers know more than one language. So how do you think that his brothers would have been totally 100% convinced that Joseph was who he said he was. Yeah, that's right, his circumcision. That was a private matter. You don't want your servants and attendants seeing that. It's one thing, you know, you, you know you're, you're siblings. You change clothes in front of everybody. You walk into the bathroom accidentally on each other. It's no big deal, your family. It's embarrassing, but your family. But you don't want that stuff out in public or in your servants. Now, the thing is, Egyptians, believe it or not, circumcised, but in a different way. The men of Egypt would circumcise, all they would do was make a slit in the foreskin and would create two flaps of foreskin. And that was the Egyptian way of circumcising, whereas the Hebrews, they removed the entire foreskin. So, I'm not saying that this this happened, but it is a plausible um, theory that maybe one way he convinced his brothers was actually to reveal that he was circumcised like a Hebrew, not like an Egyptian. So, moving on to verse two, it says, But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. He wept for two reasons he wept for joy. For joy that his brothers were truly repentant, for joy that his father was still alive, for joy that he was reunited with his brothers, but also for pain because of the 22 years he had been separated from his father, the 22 years he's been estranged from his brother, his brothers, and the 22 years that he's been away from his his uh, direct blood brother, uh, Benjamin. So it was a mixture of joy and pain. Could you imagine the conflicting emotions, just, just feeling everything at the same time, and it all just coming out in one big show of emotion, one big explosion. So it says the Egyptians heard it. So could you imagine the, the rumor mill? You know, they, 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 He sent his servants away. They just heard him a big outburst. They heard him crying, but they didn't know why. They didn't know if it was for anger, if it was for joy, if it was for pain. So all they could do is speculate at this point. You know, rulers were never to appear weak and vulnerable. And that's that's one of the reasons why he sent him away. Too much display of emotion in a a leader could potentially point to that this leader is emotionally unstable and therefore may have mental illness. And uh, so... You know, maybe that was also speculation. Has Joseph gone mad? You know, what's wrong with him? So, could you imagine all of the rumors and speculations and the and the things that the Egyptians were calling into question now with this emotional outburst with these with with uh, with their ruler? Um, So it says that Pharaoh's household heard it. So could you imagine one of Joseph's servants probably rushed over to the palace and said, hey, something's wrong with Joseph. He just, you know, he's just blatting and crying and screaming. We don't know what's going on. So they were probably wondering what was up and and didn't really know what, what was happening. So it's a big mystery, really, what this means. It says that, but he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. Now, remember, the Egyptians in the ruler class at this point were two different peoples. The Egyptians were the Hemitic people. They were black, they had kinky hair. um, They were the original Egyptians and they were the original rulers. Then the Hyksos, which were Semitic, basically they were cousins of Joseph and his brothers. They came in and swept in as raiders and took over Egypt and became the Hyksos, which means shepherd kings. And they ruled Egypt for this particular time. So it says that the Egyptians heard it And it says, and Pharaoh's household heard it. So it's two different classes of people heard it. But what they made of it, we don't know yet. They were probably just as confused as anybody else, not knowing exactly why there was this emotional outburst from Joseph and what it could possibly have meant. Um, All right. Now, it says uh, also, um, verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. So he said this in Hebrew. Up until this point, he was speaking Egyptian. So this is probably the first time that his brothers heard him speak in Hebrew. I am Joseph. And then he says, is my father still living? Now, this probably really shocked the brothers because they hadn't heard him speak in Hebrew up until this very point. And then now this Egyptian ruler is claiming to be their brother. So they're probably their brain is probably short circuiting at this point thinking, what wait, what? No, no 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 this can't be true. Wait, wait, we must be dreaming. This is insane. We don't understand this. So this this the brothers were most likely very scared. Uh, They were speechless, obviously, and they were probably very skeptical. They didn't know what to think about this at this point. It was a total shock to them, as if somebody was to run in here and say that somebody that we just saw yesterday is dead. It would be something that we totally didn't expect, and we'd probably be shocked, silent and gasp and just sit there shocked uh, because we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do because we were not expecting that news. Well, the same thing here. Now he says I am Joseph is my father still living not meaning that is my father still alive but the Hebrew more or less uh, implies is my father well not just that is he is he alive is he thriving is he vigorous does he still have all his energy is he bedridden they were at, he was asking about his father's welfare his stamina his energy level because he knew that he was, going, he was going to bring his father to Egypt to be with him. And he wanted to know if, if Jacob was able and well enough to make such a journey, a two-week journey. So he says, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Is he lively? Would probably be a better translation. Is my father still lively? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. So now it probably hit him, hit them that okay, well this is Joseph. No wonder we couldn't find him when we first came to the city from all different directions, looking in the brothels, looking in the slave markets, scouring all of Egypt to see if Joseph's still living. So we assumed he's dead. And now here this guy is saying, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? They thought we're in deep trouble now. All this trouble that he gave us up until this point, all the mind tricks and games he played with the putting the money in our sacks and 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 keeping simon as prisoner and threatening to keep benjamin as prisoner now we know what he's going to do he's going to get revenge he's going to get revenge on us for selling him into slavery 22 years ago they were terrified so verse um verse four then joseph said to his brothers please come near me now could you imagine if if you know, I can imagine the brothers, first of all, their eyes are probably as big as saucers. They probably lost their breath. They definitely lost their tongue. They didn't know what to say, and they were terrified. So when somebody's terrified, probably unconsciously, they were probably starting to step back a little bit, backing away from the situation. And they probably weren't even realizing that they were doing it. So therefore, Joseph had to say, please, please. Not a command, not you do this now. It was, it was a heart cry, please. Come near me. He's trying to comfort them. He's trying to reassure them that he has no ill will or intent towards them. He's like, please come near me. And they came near. They came near because they were afraid of what would happen if they didn't. They still didn't trust Joseph at this point. They were still terrified that he was going to get revenge. But he said, please come near me. And they came near. He said again, this is the second time. I am Joseph, your brother. He said, the one you sold into Egypt. He's reminding them of what they did. He's like, just in case you think that I'm some kind of, uh, kind of an imposter, I know the backstory. So he's giving them details that only Joseph himself would know. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. So he had to repeat who he was because the brothers were obviously scared and speechless, likely backing up or shrinking back. And so he had to say, please come near me. And the brothers were were so fearful of some kind of revenge or reprisal. And verse five, and now don't be grieved or angry with yourself for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. So finally, all the puzzle pieces finally fell into place for Joseph. And it was that aha light bulb moment. You know, finally this, this, this flashback of the two dreams that he had of his brothers and his mother and father bowing down to him as the sheaves and as the stars and as the sun and the moon and, and all this finally come to fruition and it fully come to pass and so therefore Joseph says don't be grieved or angry with yourself <clears throat> the reason he's saying don't be grieved or angry with yourself because the whole time Joseph was testing them putting the money in the sacks keeping Simon prisoner threatened to take Benjamin as prisoner and all this kind of stuff He was testing them and he was seeing, he heard them because they were speaking in Hebrew to each other, thinking that he didn't understand what they were saying. But he heard every single word that his brother said throughout this whole drama. And he heard his brother say, see, it's because we sold our brother into Egypt that this is happening to us. God is paying us back. You know, we did wrong and now we're paying for it. The chickens have come home to roost. And so he heard this and so he was convinced that his his brothers were very sorrowful and remorseful and regretful for what had happened and so he's trying to comfort them and reassure them he's like don't be grieved or angry with yourself for selling me here because so now joseph is also giving a reason why this happened you know you you wanted to get rid of me you were jealous of me you hated me i can get, i get it i see it i was a cocky young arrogant Know it all. I was daddy's favorite, so I don't blame you for being mad at me. I can understand that. You meant to get rid of me. You meant to kill me. You meant evil upon me. But even though you meant evil, God used it for the good. He says, Don't be angry or grieved with yourselves for selling me here because God, you thought you were in control. You thought you were the ones who were hatching this plan against me. But God was behind it the whole time. God sent me here ahead of you to preserve your life. Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good, for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Joseph, without saying, basically said to his brothers, God is in control. He's sovereign. He allowed this to happen. He permitted this to happen. He knew, God knew I needed humbled. He knew it was going to take me 20 some years to be humbled to the point to where I could be the, the, the leader and the patriarch that dad always wanted me to be in order to lead this family right, in order to preserve this family during this famine. So this was all God's doing, it wasn't your doing. Um, all right, now, it's also interesting here that this is teaching us a little lesson of giving people the benefit of the doubt. Because we're fallen human beings, our fallen nature automatically wants us to assume or expect the worst in somebody else. But in Jewish tradition, you're you're always, and I should say Christian tradition as well, we we should always give the benefit of the doubt uh, rather than be accusatory. Uh, Give somebody the benefit of the doubt until they give you evidence not to. If something looks bad something looks off something looks shady but you don't have any proof give that person the benefit of the doubt and I use this example uh, uh, several times but I think it's a good one let's say that there's this guy who gets saved and he used to be the town drunk he used to be an alcoholic he used to be a drug dealer he used to be in a gang he used to be a really really bad seed a really bad guy and he gets saved and he changes and turns his life around but then one day you're driving down the road and you see him staggering out of a bar with another guy, arm in arm, and they're about ready to fall over. Your first impression is, oh well, he backslid. That addiction finally caught up with him and got him. He's stumbling out of the he's drunk as a skunk, look, and his testimony's ruined. You don't know that. Looks could be deceiving. That's the entire premise of magic. Sleight of hand, the illusion. You know, There's no no magic. Everything that you see on stage and in a magic show is sleight of hand, a trick of the eye. Your eye can deceive you and and can fool you. When in reality, the guy wasn't drunk, when in reality, he's a sponsor for another alcoholic who called him and said, I messed up and I messed up bad. I can't make it home. Please come and get me. And he had to go to the bar and get this guy. And the guy was so drunk, he could hardly walk. And so he had to lean on this guy and help him out. And the weight of this guy caused him to stumble. So it looked like he was drunk. So we should always give people the benefit of the doubt. And that's what verse 5 is teaching us. So Joseph was giving his brothers the benefit of the doubt. But I think by this time, Joseph was convinced that his brothers were truly repentant because of the test that he, uh, he put his brothers through. All right, so moving on to verse 6, 6 through 8. For the famine has been in the land two years, and there will be five more years. Five is the number of grace. Five is also the number for law. Law and grace go together. We think that they're opposites and diametrically opposed to each other, but they're actually like like a Reese cup. They're peanut butter and chocolate. They're meant to go together. Law and grace are meant to go together. So it says there's two years of famine, That's already been in the land. There's five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of this entire household and ruler over the land of Egypt. So Joseph here proclaims God's sovereignty. God is in control even when it doesn't look like he is. How how could it even look like God was in control? When Joseph was thrown in a well, he was almost killed, he was sold into slavery, then he gets accused, falsely accused of rape and put in prison. Doesn't seem like God's anywhere in the picture in that scenario. But he's saying God is sovereign and he knew what it would take to break me. He knew what it would take to get me to be the right kind of man. So God's sovereign. I went from the guttermost to the uttermost. Um, All right, verse 9. So he's telling his brothers, return quickly. Now, maybe when it said in verse 1 and 2 that he could no longer contain himself, but he wept loudly, maybe this weeping was twofold. He was weeping out of joy because... Now he can finally reveal himself to his brothers and his family could be reunited, but he was also weeping in sorrow because he had to turn right back around and send them away. It's like saying, hello, okay, goodbye. (laughs) It's that fast. So he said in verse nine, return quickly to my father. He's basically saying time is of the essence here. Time is of the essence here. Return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son joseph says god has made me lord over all egypt come down to me without delay so okay you're you're talking a two-week journey there let's say it'll probably take a week to pack up everything and then a week's journey back so you're talking about a month a month and a half before joseph would ever see his brothers again and his father for the first time in 22 years so he wants, it, he wants it fast. It can't come fast enough. Return quickly to my father and say, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me, you and your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds, all you, and all that you have. There I will sustain you, for there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you, your household, and everything you have will become destitute. So here we see Joseph stepping up finally into that prophetic uh, leadership position that he dreamt about. That prophetic leadership uh, 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 position that his father always intended him to take. Because he was the, the, the guy with the coat of many colors. He was daddy's favorite. Dad already chose him to be the next ruler and the next patriarch. And we see a secession of failures. Reuben failed because they tried to sleep with, with uh, uh, Jacob's concubine. Simeon and Levi failed because they were next in line to be firstborn. They, they uh, slaughtered the men of Shechem. And so Judah was standing in the gap here as firstborn. And so we see that Judah took the place of the firstborn as being the spokesman for the brothers while they were in Egypt. He's the one who ultimately convinced Joseph not to keep Benjamin. And he's the one who caused Joseph to break down and cry. Now, you have two leaders here. And we know prophetically what happens in the future. We know that there is, that, 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 that the kingdom of Israel will be split. It was united under Saul and David. But And and under Solomon. But when Solomon's son Rehoboam came on the scene, he made a big bad mistake and didn't listen to the elders, but listened to his peers. And the kingdom was ripped in half. You had the kingdom of Judah, which was Judah, Levi, and Benjamin. Then you had the kingdom of Israel, also known as the house of Ephraim. They were the other tribes. It says we don't want nothing to do with David's son. And so we see this here because Joseph... His sons are Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph is the kingdom of Ephraim. Joseph is the house of Israel. And he's got this leadership position as Pharaoh, as a Pharaoh-type figure. But we also see in the same exact moment that Judah is also uh, the firstborn, and he's the leader of all the brothers, symbolizing the, the kingdom of Judah. So we see that kind of taking place here as well. Now, um, talk Goshen. Goshen was kind of the outskirts of Egypt. Okay, let's put it. Let's put it in perspective. Let's New York. Everybody is pretty familiar with New York. There's New York City, New York, New York, and that's the Big Apple. That's where the seat of government is. That's where you know the business Wall Street is. That's where all this stuff takes place, and it's hustle and bustle and busy. And then, what? A couple hours away, you have the Adirondacks. You have the Catskills, you have these this plate you have even Amish people living just a few hours away from New York City, so if Egypt was New York, Goshen would be like the Catskills that's what Goshen would be like it it was it was it was very prosperous for a hundred years it was lush, it was green it was it was it was canaan like promised land like place where there was enough room for all of of uh, Jacob's sons, his his uh, uh, grandchildren, their flocks and their herds. So they were going to prosper there, but yet they were going to be far enough away from the influence of the Big Apple, so to speak, far enough away from the influence of the big city and of the paganism and things there that they wouldn't be corrupted by the politics and by the paganism and by the culture. And we see that take place in New York. The Amish live. In places around New York, like Syracuse and and the Catskills and Skinny Atlas and Chittenango. And these are just a few hours away from New York City proper. But the Amish has still preserved their way of life because they're far enough away from the big city to even be remotely influenced by them. And so Joseph was wanting to preserve their faith, their heritage, their culture, and their religion by getting them as far away from Egypt as possible, but yet having a good place to stay. That's where Goshen is. That's Goshen. So verse 12, he says, look, your eyes, look, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin can see that I'm the one speaking to you. So he's basically saying, you still don't believe me? Ask Benjamin. Benjamin is my full brother. I think he always had a suspicion of who I was. You know, he knows he can testify. I am he because we spent more time with each other than the rest of y'all because we're true brothers. So he's using, you know, by two or three witnesses, let everything be established. So whether it was his hair, whether it was taking the makeup off, whether it was showing him his circumcision, whether it was speaking Hebrew, that was considered like one witness. The second witness, by two or three three witnesses, let everything be established. Benjamin finally chimed in and said, yeah, this is definitely my brother, Joseph. I know for sure. I know in my soul and in my bones, this is Joseph. Verse 12, look, your eyes, And the eyes of my brother Benjamin can see that I am the one speaking to you. I'm speaking to you in Hebrew. I'm not speaking to you in Egyptian or some other language. I'm speaking to you in proper Hebrew. You know, the Hebrew language at that time had a couple offshoots and other dialects that were related to each other. So not only was he speaking Hebrew, but the particular Hebrew they spoke in Canaan. Uh, All right, so verse... uh, Verse thirteen, tell my father about all my glory in Egypt, and about all you have seen, and bring my father here quickly. Bring him here quickly. Time was of the essence. He didn't know long. He didn't know how long Jacob had, or how dire the situation was regarding the famine there in Canaan, and he didn't know how vigorous his dad was, how lively his dad was, how how what his state of health was. So he wanted him down there as fast as possible. Not only that, but he was anxious to see his dad. Who wouldn't be after 22 years of not seeing each other? Verse 14 and 15. Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin, because he was closest to Benjamin, that was his blood relative, and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept. And afterwards his brothers talked with him. So, we see that they weep for joy. Joseph and Benjamin weep for joy because they were reunited. Reunited and it feels so good. I'm thinking of all these reunion songs. So they wept for joy, but they also wept for sadness because they knew that they would have to turn right back around and they wouldn't see each other for a month. It was a brief reunion. Um, Now the mystics say, The the rabbinical sages and, and the Jewish mystics say that Joseph and Benjamin wept prophetically over the future destruction of the temple in Benjamin's territory and the tabernacle in Shiloh in Joseph's territory. Mystics also say that he wept over his brothers because he saw the future scattering of the tribes in Assyrian and Babylonian captivity. Now, this weeping, tears are very cleansing. Tears are very cleansing. I know that when I've been upset with somebody, I know when I've been mad at somebody, I know that when I've had a grudge against somebody or felt ill will towards somebody, and we sit down and we talk it out, and we end up forgiving each other and crying, it's like that crying releases that anger. That crying releases any bitterness, any grudges, any hate. And it's as if those tears are a spiritual water that just cleanses your dirty soul. So a cleansing took place here, a healing took place here between him and all of his brothers. It was a beautiful thing to see. Tears cleanse and purges. Verse 16. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace, Joseph's brothers have come. So finally, all the rumors have been put to rest. We know exactly now why Joseph was weeping and wailing and crying. It was was a mystery before, but we know it now. Pharaoh and his servants were pleased. Now, they were pleased, Pharaoh was pleased because, remember, the, the Pharaoh was a cousin, so to speak, of Joseph and his brothers. They were both Semitic. Came, both came from Abraham, some way, somehow. Not only that, they were pleased because they not only respected Joseph, they loved Joseph. And there's a difference. Any leader can, can, can uh, get respect. But not every leader can get love. Now, for instance, again, another MMA example, if you'll excuse me. The Diaz brothers, Nick and Nate Diaz, I cannot stand those cocky, arrogant fighters. They think they're all that. They cuss and swear. They put everybody down. You know, I I, I don't love them at all, but I respect them. And the reason that I respect them is because they are the best fighters on the ground they like these MMA fighters they cannot only fight standing up but they can fight on their back and it's very rare that you can get a fighter that can fight on their back so because of their athleticism because of how good they are fighting on the ground on their back they're just as good fighters on their back as they are standing up I have a high respect for nick and nate diaz because of that but i don't love them they're not my favorites i like to, i want to see them lose because i can't stand them they're cocky they're arrogant but i respect their fighting skills now with a leader you can respect a leader because of his smarts because of his acumen because of his skill because of his cunning because of the decisions he make but you may not like the leader you may not love him because you have no respect for his morality you may have no respect for his character but you do have respect for his leadership joseph had the best of both worlds. Because not only was he smart, um, he could speak all the languages according to tradition. He made this prophetic statement about the famine. He prepared for this famine and saved Egypt. So his leadership skills were not in question. They were respected. But they loved Joseph because Joseph was a kind leader. He was a generous leader. He was a good leader. And so he had both the love and the respect, which not every leader can say. So that was, that was really good. Verse 16, when the news reached Pharaoh's palace, Joseph's brothers have come. Pharaoh and his servants were pleased. They, 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 they were so glad that this happened because by this time they knew Joseph's backstory. They knew that he'd been sold into slavery. They knew that you know, he was falsely accused of rape. They knew all these things. So they're like, ah, finally, justice is being served and something's going right for this guy. All right, um, let's see. So uh, this little note here says, "Rabbi, say Pharaoh was pleased because now Joseph's origins and family were proved to be from a noble family and a noble bloodline. You know, they just didn't want some kind of a slave bum in leadership. So Pharaoh was feeling good because now it was proven that he come from a good family." Verses 17 through 20. Pharaoh said to Joseph. Tell your brothers, now this is Pharaoh commanding Joseph to relay this message to his brothers. Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and go back to the land of Canaan. Get your father and your families and come back to me. I will give you the best land of Egypt and you can eat from the richness of the land. You are also to command to tell them, do uh, do, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your dependents and from your wives and bring your father here. Do not be concerned about your belongings, for the best of all, the land of Egypt is yours. Now, it was Pharaoh's idea that Joseph's family moved to Egypt. Rabbis say that the Pharaoh did this because he knew Joseph would never ask for himself, so as not to take advantage of his leadership position. Also, experts um, uh, uh, export of Egyptian wagons were illegal at that time. Now you know you have you have uh, militaries, like uh, for instance, um, I forget who the United States supplies aircraft to. I think we've supplied aircraft to Canada at one point. Um, you know, things like that so you know you have military ve- vehicles that are made in one country but they're exported to another military in another country this was illegal you know egypt was not allowed to export their vehicles because chariots and wheeled vehicles were not only for um, merchantile use but they were also for uh, political and military use so Joseph couldn't say, yeah, take take the Egyptian wagons and go. He didn't have the right to say that. Only Pharaoh could say that because there was a a, a ban on the export of Egyptian wagons. Um, So Pharaoh made an exception here. Now, Dr. Jeffrey Enoch Feinberg says, Joseph sends wagons uh, uh, wagons, uh, uh, of as a seal of royal escort. In fact, Pharaoh's invitation to settle in the fertile area of Goshen along with gifts Confers royal status on the family. So basically, if we're to understand Dr. Feinberg correctly, when Pharaoh sent his wagons to go fetch Joseph's uh, father and his relatives, basically Pharaoh was saying, I'm adopting them into my family. I'm adopting them. They're, They're becoming royalty as I do this. So, settling in Goshen, Joseph's family would be on the front line of defense for Egypt on that particular front. Goshen was kind of like the Wild West in a sense, where the enemy could have came in from Goshen almost undetected and have a surprise attack on Egypt. Now, Pharaoh probably heard of the military prowess of Joseph's brothers, especially Simeon and Levi. So, this Goshen was a perfect place to put Jacob and his family because they could defend the Western Front, so to speak. They could see enemies coming and thwart their attack to keep Egypt safe. They were the front line of defense for Egypt. Plus, it was a fertile land where they could raise their cattle and raise their family without being in direct uh, influence of uh, Egypt's um, uh, paganism. All right, so uh, verse verse sixteen through twenty, There was no U-Hauls back in the day, and large wheeled vehicles were virtually unknown in Canaan at that time. So uh, could you imagine the buzz of the Canaanite neighbors of Jacob when they saw these royal Egyptian wagons, wagons from Egypt that were clearly Egyptian technology, clearly Egyptian architecture, and they probably had the royal seal of the Pharaoh. Could you imagine the talk that was going around at that time? so verse 21 says the sons of israel did this and joseph gave them wagons as pharaoh had commanded and gave them provisions for the journey now just to back up really quick at verse 20 i forgot to mention pharaoh said do not be concerned about your belongings for the best of the land of egypt is before you he's saying just bring yourself and your 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 uh, family and your cattle Don't worry about couches and chairs and pots and pans and tents. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Don't bring any extra stuff you don't need because we're going to provide for you everything. He he said the best of the land of Egypt is yours. So don't bring any unnecessary stuff. Just bring yourself and your cattle that's good enough. So they were going to get, you know, a lot of times when people move, sometimes it's cheaper to sell your old stuff and to buy new stuff when you get to where you're going. And uh, this is kind of the, 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 the way it was. So they had a royal escort to Egypt. Verse 21, the sons of Israel did this, and Joseph gave them wagons as Pharaoh had commanded and gave them provisions for the journey. Uh, all right, so it was, again, it was a two-week journey there and back. So there was enough provisions because they weren't no you know, Tim Hortons or no uh, you know, Irvings that they could stop and get something to eat on the way. Verse twenty-two. He gave each of his brothers a change of clothes. Why did he give his brothers a change of clothes? Can you guess why? Because remember what happened when Joseph said, "All right, that's it. You stole my divination bowl. I'm you. You, you know you're you're all in trouble, and I'm going to keep Benjamin as a slave." It said they ripped their garments in grief and mourning. So all of them were wearing ripped clothes. So here it says, Joseph gave each of his brothers a change of clothes, but he gave Benjamin 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes, which was the royal allotment for the next in line to secede him. He was planning on having Benjamin secede him as ruler one day. And this kind of prophetically happened in the sense that the first king of Israel was King Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, okay, uh, verse 22. He gave each of his brothers a change of clothes but he gave benjamin 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes he sent his father the following 10 donkeys carrying the best products of egypt 10 female donkeys carrying grain food and provisions for his father on the journey wow that's a big generous gift right there you know again this symbolizes um you know the the inheritors portion um Let's see here. I'm just looking through my notes really quick. All right. Um, All right. Verse 23, verse 24. uh, So Joseph sent his brothers on their way, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't argue on the way. Argue about what? Number one, don't argue about the past, you know, what they did to Joseph, and try to hash it out and figure it out and lay blame on each other. Number two, don't argue about the present. Don't argue about Benjamin getting five times as much. And, and don't argue about how they will explain things to dad. Number three, don't argue about the future. Who, who will be the patriarchal head? So he's like, don't argue about these things. So, and, and on all these things, that could, the, the, probably the most thing on their mind is, how are we going to tell dad? Because think about it. This is going to prove that the, that the brothers were a bunch of lying thieves. Because they covered up the, the the cell of their brother Joseph. They cover they they faked Joseph's death and sold him into slavery, and this has been a secret for twenty-two years. So verse 25 through 28. So when they came up, so they when they went up from Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they said, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned, for he did not believe them. Of course, he wouldn't believe them. He had evidence to the contrary. He probably still had Joseph's bloody coat of many colors that was supposed to prove that he was ate by a wild animal. Why are you doing this to a poor old man, trying to fool a poor old man like that? But when they told, verse 27 But when they told Jacob all that Joseph had said to them, in other words, you know, all the, 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 the things that only Joseph could, or, uh, Joseph could know, and when they saw the wagons that was an unusual sight that joseph had sent to transport the spirit of the father of jacob revived he was like born again he got this energy you know uh, a lot of times we see elderly people and you know they're frail and they're weak but when somebody comes to see them at the manor or the nursing home that they haven't seen in a long time somebody maybe that lives out of country or out of province they get energy really quick because they're so excited to see them so even though he didn't believe his sons that joseph was still alive because they're a bunch of lying thieves they faked joseph's death covered it up he believed when he saw the wagons from egypt what other explanation could there have been his his sons were great warriors but they couldn't take an egyptian army so he 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 said this has got to be true but when they told Jacob all that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to transport him, the spirit of their father revived. So um, so I, I think maybe that Jacob probably uh, remembered Joseph's dreams and was saying this is a prophetic fulfillment of all of Joseph's dreams. Um, all right, verse 20. All right, verse 28. Then Israel, ah, you see the name change there? They were calling him Jacob this whole time because Jacob symbolizes his flesh. Jacob symbolizes his fear. Jacob symbolizes, oh, woe is me. The the whole world's going wrong and everybody's against me. But it says in verse 27 that when he saw the wagons, Jacob's spirit revived. And then in verse 28, he's not called Jacob anymore. He's called Israel. Israel is spiritual. Israel is faith. He's walking now in faith. Then Israel said, Enough! My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. 22 years had passed. That's a lifetime to most of us. 22 years is a lifetime. So, what a glad reunion day on both fronts. When he finally revealed himself to his brothers, and here at the very end of the chapter, when he's about to see his father for the first time in 22 years. And we're going to see that beautiful reunion next sunday in genesis chapter 24. so let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer heavenly father we just want to thank you for this uplifting uh, and this uh great passage genesis 45. help us lord to to get the most out of it like a big juicy steak and we break open the bone and suck the marrow out because we want to get every stitch of nutrients and so, Lord, help us to be able to apply these things to our lives as well. And also to see the spiritual applications and the spiritual parallels between Joseph and Jesus and Joseph and maybe even our lives. And, 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 and when people betray us and when people do us wrong and how we're supposed to, to uh, um, react uh, to those things. And, Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.